When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They kept telling me that, oh, you are a celebrity now. And I said, no, celebrity, they have their own jets. They don't stuck at airports. I am an, a zoo animal. Hmm. I was in a cage and you are what, just trying to, to watch me. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite a sad but, response. When, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's how but you felt. I, I still believe that that, uh, that, that was the, the case. Today's guest is Hassan Al-Kuntar, an absolute gem of a person who found himself in one of the most unique and unusual positions imaginable, living in an airport for seven months. Hassan had been working in the United Arab Emirates when civil war broke out in Syria, refusing to return there to join the Syrian military and knowing he might be arrested upon arrival. He stayed abroad and Hassan's passport renewal was later denied, leaving him stranded in Kuala Lumpur International Airport in Malaysia. Devastatingly, his family sold valuables to raise money for his trips to Ecuador and Cambodia, but both countries refused him entry, leaving him back in Kuala Lumpur from March 2018 until October 2018. Eventually, he found asylum and was able to move to Canada, but not before a quite extraordinary stay in an airport. His is a story that is often compared to that of The Terminal, the Tom Hanks film based on the real-life story of Miran Karimi Nasseri. It is a story of hope, survival, mundanity at times, resourcefulness and persistence. Hassan slept beneath an escalator and was afforded food by the airline. He lived in permanent cold and was constantly awoken by airport announcements. Today, his experience there still affects him and the way he sleeps, as he'll go on to explain. Through social media, he was able to raise awareness about his plight and what was going on in Syria. Anyone who wants to know more, do get hold of Man at the Airport, How Social Media Saved My Life. It's in all the usual places, and I'll put a link in the show notes, as well as one to Hassan's Twitter profile, which is at Contar81. Do give him a follow. Get the 20-minute bonus chat, which is really quite emotional, really touching, by signing up on patreon.com slash andrewgold or subscribing through Apple. Watch the premieres of each episode alongside me in the chat box on Mondays at 6pm UK time on YouTube or youtube.com slash andrewgold1 or just type on the edge with Andrew Gold into YouTube. There's now a few regulars there and we get chatting a little bit. It's really nice. Coming up soon, our cult lever... Kelly Thiel, and one of America's biggest podcasters, Jordan Harbinger, who was kidnapped not once, but twice. But now, here's Hassan Al-Kontar. Do you like my lights? I got these new lights behind me. It's a romantic one. <laughs> yeah, that's <I> good. <laughs> do you think maybe it's too much it's a little bit like uh too yeah. romantic it depends maybe you are a sentimental kind of person right i'm i'm more i'm more uh, a dark person unfortunately i uh, i don't 
even turn sometimes the light on in my room. I keep it dark. I watch my uh, my mobile or Netflix or whatever with the minimum lights. A reflection of how you feel? No, I think I got uh, uh, at, the, the idea at the airport when I could not even control the lights to turn them off just to get some sleep. Uh, the idea of not being able to control that uh, is still bothering me. And uh, that's why now I just want to have the feeling that I can control my environment. That's it. I totally understand that. Well, you have a very beautiful, um, what is that, a rug behind you? It's a gift, actually. Yeah, it's a rug. Uh, it's a handmade. Uh, I'm, I'm in the north. Uh, where are you from, by the way? I am from London. I forgot my microphone. London, okay. Is. Is, yeah. Is yeah. that better? Uh, uh, much better, yeah. Um, uh, I'm in the north, like a uh, uh, 1500 kilometer away from Vancouver uh, from the uh, lower mainland and um, a lady here who is volunteering uh, she do some volunteer works uh, at Northern Hill she thought that she knew my story and we become friends with time and she uh, she needed a very beautiful rug for me and it's, it's kind of she's my mother's age and uh, my mother also need and when she knew that she she needed this for me and i'm taking it everywhere and uh, yeah it's, it's so my beautiful. background since yeah it is a colorful right that's really nice yeah. look at that oh i really yeah. like that one day you'll get me one like that <laughs> i will for sure tomorrow is her birthday i'm i'm, I'm going oh. out to yeah to uh, to the flower shop and i'm gonna send her some flowers for her birthday Oh, that's really lovely. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. nice. So thank you for joining me. Uh, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Um, yeah, I guess I don't even know where to start, really. It's such a fascinating story. Can I start with a really annoying question? Do you mind me asking an annoying question? You have the right to ask whatever you have in your mind. I always have that policy that people, they have the right to know. You as a host have the right to ask and I will answer. So there's no annoying questions. Well, there is one, which you've probably been asked a hundred times, which is, had you seen or have you seen? <laughs> you know already. I'm so sorry. I just thought I had to okay. ask you this. <laughs> no, no, you should. <laughs> uh, it, it has been... I've been asked these questions like I don't even uh, I, I cannot count. But uh, I came up when I was at the airport with uh, with an answer, a funny answer. Uh, and so if you like, I will I can answer you the same. And yes, that's please. how I'm gonna. Yes, I did watch the terminal movie. Yes, it's very similar day-to-day uh, -day life moments with uh, what I was facing. No, it's different because I was living the reality 24-7 and it was an act. Uh, however, there is a, um, a minor difference between me and the movie. Where he had Catherine Zeta-Jones for the love of God and I had no one. <laughs> <laughs> and bring 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 me Catherine and I will wait for as long as she wants. She wasn't there. Oh, I'm so sorry she wasn't there. She's okay. she's from she's from these these Isles, the British Isles, where Catherine Zeta Jones. Uh, oh, here you go. That's the reason why. <laughs> yeah. She's probably here. You know what? I'm very near to Wales now. I'm based in Bristol uh now. I just moved here, but it's only ten minutes in the car to Wales, which I don't know if she lives there anymore. She probably lives in America. Yeah, I think she's in 
Hollywood somewhere in California or Los Angeles. Yeah. I With Michael, so. Michael I sent Douglas. her a copy of, uh, I, uh, I found, I Googled her name and uh, because I wrote a book and she was in the book, I, I mentioned that answer in the book. And uh, I thought, well, it would be nice if she had a copy. And um, oh. I found a fan, a fan mailing address for her. And I don't, know if she has an access to it or not but i send it anyway uh, to tom hanks as well uh but i never get to, um, there's no surprise there but yeah <laughs> that's fine those, that's fine. <laughs> those they're so famous both of them they're big big yeah. stars and nobody can talk yeah. to them yeah well that's okay maybe they'll reply one day yeah, we need to give people excuse in life maybe they did not have an access to the mail maybe they were busy and uh uh, maybe so that's fine yeah yeah maybe. yeah well so ha- had you seen it before or, or after i uh, saw it before it's 2004 movie i believe i saw it before but here's a story uh, uh a journalist called jonathan i believe and he is uh, uh from germany and he works for the one of the uh top newspaper in germany der spiegel uh, he visited me at the airport. He was one of a few reporters uh, to visit me at the airport. Uh, he refused to do uh, to induct an interview online because he wanted to live the experience, as he said. And he spent there 24. He spent there 24 hours. And uh, after we chat a lot, after we recorded a lot, he uh, asked me, "Would you like to watch a movie?" And then there it was, the terminal movie. <laughs> I watched it with him at the terminal. I, I think he made it on purpose because he wanted to check my reactions on certain certain <laughs> points, certain scenes. Yeah, that's a bit sneaky. Uh, sneaky. <laughs> that's, that's what journalists. We are a journalist, right? That's what we are. Do. We are. <laughs> you know, I I on purpose. I I rarely watch interviews with the people I talk to because I know that. If somebody asks you a question and you give the answer, then I feel fake to ask the question again because I already know. So I don't like to watch too much stuff. So I didn't know if everybody asks you about the terminal, but I was sure they must do. All of them. That was the typical question. And uh, on a serious note, uh, at the airport, I had this fight, struggle uh, with the media and social media of uh, it's not what I'm doing at the airport. It's why I am at the airport. So I was trying to drag them all the time to the serious topic about the Syrian refugee crisis and the Syrian war, but I could not success all the time. So it was win and lose situation. But uh, uh, I also don't even watch my interviews or hear myself speaking or even the articles I wrote before. I don't read them again. And I will always, and uh, the same situation with the book, I will always find a way to criticize myself. Uh, The first only the first five minutes, I will be a fan, a huge fan of what, I'm, of what I said or what I wrote. And I would say, wow, this is beautiful. Then five minutes later, I lose all the interest in it. And uh, that's, and I, I saw that even f- Facebook posts when Facebook remind me that you wrote this two years ago or one year. How did I write this? It's, <laughs> it's not beautiful. So I, uh, I, I ignore to watch. I don't even Google it. I don't watch it. They send me the links. So that's probably going to happen with you. I enjoy the moment, this moment, and I know what I already said, and that's it for me. I understand that. I think everybody has a little bit of that. They call it the imposter syndrome, right? Oh, I don't know that it has a name. Hmm. What is Hmm. it called? Imposter. 
yeah imposter like like you feel like you're like you're a fake or something like that you know it's not about fake it's about some, it's um, missing something oh I, if i use this word instead of this word if i uh, this image is not beautiful i could write better than that i could say better than that i could do better than that and that's the perfection i think it's uh, seeking perfection that's that oh, i know that feeling i have to edit my own voice every time i make a podcast episode and you start to hate your own voice but it's okay oh. let's let's go back to the beginning then of, of your of your story um can you can you just tell me what was actually before your story what was and what is going on in syria because just 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 a very brief. I know this could take an hour, but just a brief thing for people who aren't aware. It's a controversial issue uh, and question. People think some people think even uh, among Syrians, people some people think it's a revolution. Other thinks it's a civil war. Uh, for me, it's for sure a revolution. People they uh, had enough from uh, dictator uh, and uh, from uh, all um, denying their freedom. And they decided to change. Unfortunately, now, uh, at the beginning, it was a revolution, but now it's for sure a civil war. And with the whole world also got involved in it. And uh, uh, the whole world is fighting on our land. It's not only the Syrian war, it's others war in our land. So uh, for me, it's not the political uh, uh, not the political aspect anymore. It's the humanitarian issues that we are facing and uh, and the humanitarian crisis and the the type of racism the Syrians are facing since 2011. And uh, uh, that's what got my attention. And uh, that's uh, what I feel passionate about it. I I know as an individual that I don't have the power or the authority to just make them stop. Hmm. And uh, it's... um, at the beginning of the revolution, uh, I, I decided I had a moral stand of, I'm not going to be a part of this war. I, I don't want to be a part of a killing machine or to kill my own people or to destroy my own house. But I did not know at that time that I'm going to pay the ultimate price. I did not see my family ever again. During that time, I lost my father, I lost my brother-in-law. I watched my brother's wedding on on via Skype uh, when I was at the airport, and uh, I was not there when they needed me the most. I don't know if I will be able to go back to Syria if the uh, um, current regime remains in power. So that's the struggle I'm facing. That's the Syrian uh, situation. It's the oldest civilization in the human history and uh, uh, it has so much history so much proud it's people they were generous people peaceful uh, never a racist people uh, uh, educational uh, um, cultured people skilled workers and uh, all of a sudden because of war because of game of thrones uh, people start uh, uh, people fighting over the throne, and uh, it become full of hate, anger, blood, and destroy. What are the two sides? Uh, the side of uh, well, Syria, and that's what 
that even the Western people don't realize. Whenever they have this pattern, this uh, um, this ideas in their mind, whenever you say Arab, for example, uh, you will technically jump to Islam. And that's it for you. He, if he's an Arab, he's Islam, and uh, he's a Mediterranean. And that's how people think of it. Well, and uh, I, I don't get uh, involved in religious, but I'm trying to explain in general that Syria, for example, is uh, an 18 different uh, ethnic and religious minorities. I'm from one of them. And uh, it's not black and white. So for some minorities, they feel threat and they supported the regime because they thought it's a matter of existence for them uh, based on history experience. So uh, some of them said, well, it is a conspiracy. The Western countries, they want Syria to be destroyed because it was never them, and they need to control the area, the region, and they need to change the regime so it become one of their allies. Uh, we think that maybe that's true, but it's still a dictatorship. They are still ruling the country with no constitution, uh, with emergency law since 1963. Uh, people are disappearing since a long time. We don't have our basic minimum rights as a human being. We don't have elections, we don't have democracy, we don't have free media, we don't have a voice or a, a freedom of speech, and we need that to change. And that's when the two parts confronted each other, and that's when the Syrian war took, start taking a place. People are killing each other, unfortunately. Yeah. So, so sad. You're from a Druze family. I met some Druze people in Israel and they were very, very welcoming and friendly and had some fantastic traditions and a very rich, uh, rich culture. Has that had a big impact on your life and your upbringing? Yes. Um, we are known uh, through the history by being uh, uh, fighters for freedom. Uh, we fought against the Ottoman Empire before, and we fought against the French occupation before. And we were the leaders uh, at that time, although we are only 3% of the population. And uh, we know by generosity, as you said, uh, hospitality, uh, well, especially when, ha when we have a guest, uh, we, uh, we will do <laughs> so many things. So, um, uh, and because of the, as, as I said, the history experience we had uh, many wars. We fought many wars with our uh, with other minorities or other religious uh, through the history. We closed up to ourselves and we lived in the mountain in all the countries we are living in, which is Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine, and Israel. We are living in the mountains because it's a higher ground and it's easy to defend. And uh, um, and. Uh, that we uh, even through the nights when people here for example watch a movie or netflix these days or go far up, uh, outside uh, to a bar or a restaurant we used to gather and speak uh, uh, stories about histories and that's how uh, it identify us and uh, we and it has uh, something to do with me at the airport um, uh, we don't give up normally and uh, even with the syrian war uh, syrian revolution we did not take a stand the way I think the way we're supposed to take. But uh, we said it's not. We are not fighting over power. We are. We don't want the throne, and uh, we should not kill each other. So we should be uh, neutral. And uh, oh, so we welcome other displaced people from other provinces in Syria. And uh, um, we did not vote. We did not fight.
uh, we try to keep it peaceful and to tell others uh, do not kill each other. And uh, we did not manage, unfortunately. Yeah. But but in general, I am not uh, for me uh, as an individual. That's my religious. But for me as an individual, I am more into uh, global citizenship. It's uh, humanitarian uh, uh, beliefs. Uh, if we are, and I wrote that also in my book, and I give an example about the indigenous people here in Canada and how I feel connected to them. And uh, even the people in New Zealand uh, who danced the haka, we had the same dance in my city. And uh, how uh, different civilizations are connected to each other, although we are too far from each other. And it made me understand that if we are humans, we are, it's only one civilization. If we have different cultures within the civilization, but we, we don't have different civilizations. We have only one civilization because we are all human. We have different cultures within the same civilization. So because uh, they, they kept trying to convey, uh, convey us that it's so many different civilizations and they are in collapse. So we are trying the West and the East, the North and the uh, uh, West. And so we are always uh, fighting each other. I believe, no, it's, if we agree that we are all human, it's only one civilization, different cultures, within the same civilization. So I don't pay much attention to your religious, your color, your race, your gender, your uh, uh, sexuality, and um, it means nothing for me. If you are a human, if I believed you are a human, if I agreed you are a human, you have the same right as mine, and that's good enough for me too. So, yeah, and uh, I, I got some criticism because of it, but it is what it is. That's what I believe. That goes against uh, some of the, for example, critical race theory that's being taught at the moment about how it's very, very important where everybody is from. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, I say that and um, um, when people, for example, speak about racism, they uh, identify, they speak about race, color, gender, or religious. And But I, I found that uh, because of my own experience when I have been in detention jail in both countries, United Arab Emirates and then Malaysia, that and what the Syrian are facing since 2011, I think uh, we have a new type of racism, which is a geographical one. And uh, people are being judged and criminalized because of where they born and not because of their own mistakes. So it's very complicated. And that's why with the activists or advocates so with, for human rights, we have different groups now. We have people who are fighting for uh, uh, the black people movement, for example, or LGBT community or refugees or uh, uh, illegal immigrants. And it's so divided because we thought that it's so difficult to solve the human rights issue, the big umbrella. So let's divide it. And accidentally, we become sometimes uh, extremists with it. And, uh, and that's why I think that we should go back to the basics. We should to the fair square and let's fight for the human rights. Because once you solve that, you will solve the, the uh, all uh, automatically, right? Um, we have two frontiers. The first one, the one who's Anti-immigrants, anti-refugees, the one who doesn't want you, the, the, they, keep, they want to keep their privilege, whatever it is. And, uh, and we have us, the one who is asking for equality and uh, for uh, against discrimination. But we are so divided with so many groups. And they are 
unified by, by a simple idea, which I don't agree, which is hate, but they are unified. They are simple. They are clear. They don't want you. And that's it for them. And that's simple. But we, uh, the other uh, part, people are fighting for environment. Others are fighting for refugees, for women rights, for LGBT rights, for black movement rights. That's, that's waste of energy, I believe. How would you like to try some incredible top quality wines for free? I'd like to introduce you listeners to my new favorite wine club, Wine 52, a monthly wine discovery club. They are so sure you'll love their wines that you can grab your first case completely free, which is not bad, is it? A bit of free wine. All you need to do is go to www.wine52.com slash Andrew, not edge like in the last ones, it's slash Andrew, remember that, that's my name, and cover the postage costs of £5.95 and you'll get three bottles delivered right to your door. Wine 52 is a wine club with a difference. Instead of stocking thousands of wines from hundreds of producers, Wine 52 only selects Selects the very best of the best. Their expert wine tasters search out the most exciting wine regions and top undiscovered winemakers in the world and bring them to your door. I'll even try one next time I do this ad in a, uh, next week, I think. Um, I'll try one live on the show. Why not? How does it work? I hear you say each month they send their members three wines, which you can customize to your taste by choosing from a case of white, red, or a mixture. Also included is their magazine, Glug, which brings you the story of the producers and insight about wine and travel from each region. After your free case, you'll be part of the monthly wine club. No minimum commitment. You can try it and see what you think. If it's not for you, pause or cancel at any time. So remember, that's www.wine52.com slash Andrew to claim your case today. There is two things I I, I... I am gonna do, for example, that's my coffee. I uh, and vaping sometimes. Is that okay with you? <laughs> you can vape and drink coffee as much as you want. Yes. Okay. And if it, if it makes too much noise, I can just I edit it afterwards. So I'll edit out the noise. With the or, noise. Okay. The, okay. I was going to say, yeah. I suppose the problem with human rights sometimes is that they seem to to go against one another. So, for example, at the moment, there's a lot of talk about uh, trans rights, and then they go against rights for feminism some kinds of feminism so some people have some women are very upset if trans people go into their bathrooms and some trans people are very upset that they're not allowed to go into those bathrooms so sometimes it gets very confused and complicated right and i don't think we would be able to solve it that's the problem especially with the social <laughs> media it's a chaos mm. and uh, that it it, it keeps feeding the fire i believe and we uh, uh, that's why we I think it it needs to get bigger and and uh, if you want it to get smaller, it needs to get bigger first, and that's uh, uh, it need to be exploded sometimes. And that's not a bad thing that people are discussing these issues. That's what we asked for. Uh, you don't know that because you been born and raised in UK and in in a democratic environment. But for someone like me, I uh, who has been exposed for both sides of the world, and who has been lived under the shadow of different forms of dictatorship for almost uh, all his life, uh, I know the difference. And even with the talks now, uh, it's not a bad thing. Even if we are not agreeing, it. We are communicating, we are speaking, we are discussing it. 
the right ideas will come on time and we will accept it. And that's that we don't need to prove it. Uh, during the 70s, no one, no one was agreeing with with uh, with LGBT, and now they are okay. And uh, even not so, give it some time and. The societies, the humanity, it will cure each uh, itself and it will find the solution for existence. So that's what I think. It's not a bad thing. I, I'm, I'm 40 years old and I never voted in my life. Mm. So the, I enjoy that kind of topic and I do enjoy when people disagree with me. Uh, let's speak. Let's discuss it. Uh, everyone is entitled for his or her opinion. And that's a healthy thing. That means that the people are uh, educated and they are not just letting things go and that would keep governments in their toes. Uh, to hold them accountability, that's that's precious. And that's one of the small things because you're born in such, a, you think that the whole world is the same, it's not. And that's when you need to start appreciate the things you have in your life because for me, life is not only about what you want. It's also about what you have. Because what you have is the impossible dreams for millions uh, around the world. So while you are working towards what you want, try to enjoy what you have. Hassan, you speak very beautifully about this topic. Thank I you. like it. Thank you. Thank you. I agree with everything you've said. And I think sometimes we can lose sight of the bigger picture. Uh, we're arguing so much about things that are important, and they are very important to a lot of people. But being born in a place where I, I would have to be moved away from my family, forced to go to war, I mean, those are real, real problems that I think we're, uh, most of the listeners to this podcast and, and myself need to remind ourselves how lucky uh, we are, which I guess doesn't mean we don't continue fighting for different freedoms or that they're not important, but we, we are extremely, extremely lucky. Um, you, you moved to the United Arab Emirates to, to work in insurance. When, when did you start to realize that you might have a problem uh, with your Syrian citizenship? Well, the Syrian war took a place in 2011. And uh, that's uh, a few months after that. Uh, keep in mind that when we think about it now, we have, uh, uh, it's a different time. It's 10 years later. So we may agree or disagree. But at that time, that was the situation. That was the feeling, the general feeling. So you take your decision based on what you have, based on the information you have. And Syrian war the revolution started when, uh, after Tunisia and Egypt, and they were both succeeded in removing the regime. So we naively thought at that time that this is going to happen as well, that uh, people have spoken and uh, well, they should listen. It did not across any human mind that uh, our army will start shooting at us uh, because it's supposed to protect us. And uh, uh, we failed to read. I had some... Uh, uh, indications that, okay, this is different. This is going uh, from the beginning. I knew that the Syrian situation is more unique, but uh, I thought naively that in three or four months, he will be removed. So I refused to join the army. And that's when my passport expired. Uh, I went to, I could not go to the embassy because the rumors there was that the regime is holding the passport. It's not giving it back to you unless you are going back to Syria. So with no valid passport, I, lo I lost my work permit. 
And, and with no work permit, you cannot have a decent job or a legal job in you. You cannot even have a bank account. You cannot have, you cannot rent a car. You cannot do anything. And um, you will be hunted by immigration police. And that's when I uh, become illegal Im- immigrant. So technically, I was never a refugee. I wasn't uh, uh, having a work visa before from 2006 until 2011. From 2011 until I stuck at the airport, I was a legal immigrant who lost his work permit. When I was at the airport, when I stuck at the airport, that's when UNHCR, United Nations Refugee Commissioner, came and identified as refugee. Were you scared? Being scared uh, is not a bad thing. It's uh, it's uh, it's your hint that you are not in denial, and you are totally you are you know what you are facing and what the deep problems you get yourself, the serious situation you are in, and it could be your motive. Uh, you will be scared for a second, but after that, once you are in the store, in the eye of the store, it scares you no more. And with time, you will uh, start uh, enjoying it. And, uh, uh, for seven months, I was at the airport, followed by two months in detention jail. Each and every day, and that's the easy day, I will have like five different team uh, who will come and investigate me for an hour or two. And uh, when there is an article or something like the Guardian or uh, New York Post or Washington Post or uh, or some social media about me, uh, they will investigate me seven to eight times for two hours during day, during night. They will wake me up. It will scare you. It was scaring, uh, scary at, at the beginning, in the first week. But after that, I start making fun of it. It's it become, you got used to it. Mm. It Do will you know scare the term, you no more. Um, Kafka-esque? No, like like uh, Franz Kafka, the writer. It, it, it's just this this uh, brilliant word that I think sums up your experience of uh, things being completely ridiculous and absurd. And no matter how many times you answer the questions, it's the same result and the same result. But, yeah, well, it's it's a stage of mind. It's uh, uh, something uh, an internal sensation that uh, you will disconnect yourself physically from the reality, but emotionally and mentally you are uh, present in that situation. And that's when you will start discovering the power of your soul as a human being. And uh, uh, when you start asking the real questions and uh, uh, that's when you are scared no more. Uh, For example, we all know that the RBP people or the sport athletic people, they say we need to push our body to know the limit, uh, your breaking point, uh, how much you can take. But if you believe in something uh, mentally and emotionally, if uh, there's no breaking point, Hmm. you will keep doing it. And that's, I I thought myself that, okay, uh, I had the the energy, the will. And for the first time, it was a scary situation, but for the first time, uh, I uh, felt that I'm falling in love with what I'm doing. And that 
after 10 years of the Syrian war, I am now in a place where I can be the voice of my own people. I'm not going to waste. So I felt the responsibility not only to save myself, but also to speak about them. That's why the first tweet ever for me was, what does it mean to be Syrian? So once you know that, once you have this idea, there are, it's a simple words, two words, yes and no, right? Uh, but uh, when you start saying no to the system, no, to the government itself, and uh, you start feeling there's a kind of a proud in it. Uh, you will start feeling proud. I'm saying no. I was one person, and they were the country, government. They have their own army. They have their own police. They have their own budget. They have their own media. They have their own officers. They have ministers, parliament. They have everything. And they were against me. And I was, and when I start saying no to them, and they could not do anything, I start feeling proud of it and uh, i had we all have ideals in our life right people they inspired us people like for example nelson mandela or people like gandhi or people like martin luther king and uh, they all had the same origin it's the simple word of saying no that's how they all started they said no to the reality and when I discovered that, it was scary no more because I finally, and I wrote it on a piece of paper when I was at the airport, and I wrote it again at the, the book that uh, who we become during our march toward our dream is more important than the dream itself. Who you become is more important because at the end of the, my journey, I did not care if they deport me back to Syria, uh, or they sent me back to Canada or put me in jail. I was having a goal in my mind not to fall before telling my story, and I did. But so if they had forced you to go back to Syria, you would have had to have picked a side and fought, right? Or, or could you have escaped that? Uh, if I was an, that normal human being, yes. Uh, they will uh, capture me at the airport, they will jail me, and they will send me to the army. Uh, but uh, with the media attention, with everything, I don't think that was going to be the situation because I was open about my political views and uh, criticized the regime on, uh, on the international stage. So uh, for me, it would be a more serious situation, a political one. And who knows? Uh, they have a reputation of making people disappear, let me say. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the thing that I would be most scared of is I think about Russia and I think about North Korea. And when people, when people around the world speak out about them, particularly in airports, they can be made to disappear. So that must have been running through your mind a little bit, maybe in, in the months that you were in the airport. Uh, a lot. Uh, I knew that. I'm from Syria. I I know my people. I know the regime. I know everything. I, I don't need the media to tell me what's going on in my country because I had this gut. Uh, it's uh, a part of my DNA as a Syrian, like all Syrians. We know what, what, what we don't have a solid proof, but we know what will happen. And uh, for me, it would be a disaster because I had the indication that I had when I was uh, there, uh, someone reached out to me and uh, he said, well, what is it that they tried to negotiate with me? And, uh, okay, we will give you a safe uh, 
path uh, to your home if that's what you want just stop speaking but who who can trust them they once i'm in and uh, then uh, they uh, when i arrived to canada my family called me and they said uh, the the secret service contact, uh, contacted them they phoned them and they said it was a nice message they said but it's a hidden message that uh, uh, we hear that Hassan is in Canada. If he needs anything, let us know. Uh, it, that was, yeah, that, the weirdest thing I ever heard in my life. But they were trying to say, uh, and they did not say it, that um, he needs to be careful uh, because you are still here, which means my family. Uh, they are still under their mercy. And uh, yeah. For you don't know that because you have never been in Syria. I know that because I'm Syrian, so it's for me it's only a common sense. Yeah, I believe you. you have I believe someone left behind. You must be scared then uh, about talking on these kinds of uh, media, you know, about your yeah, family. I, I'm always, yeah, I'm always because when your freedom should stop, when where where is the line? Where is the limit? And. Uh, I can make myself a hero and keep going uh, to to media outlets and shout against the regime and gain some personal benefits because of it, like the the people are doing now. But I think uh, um, I don't own my family's freedom and uh, their personal life, so that's why I as I, again it's a humanitarian uh, point of view that. The war should stop, no matter what. And I, if I'm against the regime, it doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with the, what the opposition is doing. Because for me, they are both wrong and they are doing a bad thing. The regime, of course, is more. But um, it, it, you have the real revolutionary people. You have the extremist uh, jihadists. And you have a different people. And you need to make your opinion about each one of them. It's that complicated. But... The main simple idea of having a free society where, with freedom of speech, media, election, and uh, to live a, a good life, that's what I want, and that's what I fight for. But I also fight for the war to be stopped. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's 
E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Take me back to the first day at that airport. Um, I, I guess I, I gather that you had tried to get to, uh, you'd been in Malaysia and Quito in Ecuador and Cambodia, and you were getting sent back uh, every time. I arrived to Malaysia after they deported me from UAE. From, and then uh, uh, I tried to go to Ecuador, Quito, because it's one of the asylum ca- ca- refugee countries. I could seek asylum there, uh, but I could not, the Turkish airline did not allow me to board. Uh, and I lost all my money and they did not allow me to board because I'm Syrian, because of my nationality. And uh, a week after that, I went to Cambodia, but I arrived to Cambodia airport, but they sent me back uh, to Malaysia and Malaysia did not allow me to enter. Uh, people should know that for you, uh, uh, you, you are holding a UK uh, passport. I think it's something around 190, 189 countries who will welcome you on arrival visa. You don't have a problem. For me as a Syrian, it's three or four, I believe. So, and even, yeah, even if you want to go uh, to to the UK embassy uh, in Syria or Lebanon or anywhere as a Syrian to apply for a tourism visa or study visa, they were they were rejected so uh, because of your nationality. So we know that. Uh, that's why I tried Malaysia, because it's one of a few countries, Malaysia, Ecuador, and Cambodia. It's one of a very few countries who allow Syria on arrival visa only. But not all of them is a signatory for the 1951 Refugee Convention. And that means that the country who is signatory, you can seek asylum once you once you arrive. Malaysia is not one of them. And that's why I tried to leave Malaysia, because with time I was going to become illegal too. Yeah. And relive what I lived in uh, United Arab Emirates. So I tried to go to Ecuador. They sent me back. And because I did not want uh, to Ecuador, Turkish airline did not allow me to board. And then I tried to go to Cambodia and they sent me back. And that's when Malaysia refused my entry again, and I stuck at the airport. I technically ra- ran out of options. 
no one would uh, allow me as a Syrian anymore. No one, including the Arabic country, sadly. When did you first realize, I'm going to have to sleep at the airport? This is ridiculous. Uh, on my way to the airport. I knew that, okay, this is the main road. This is where my the rest of my life is going to decide. I'm running out of option. I ran out of all options. And the only logical solution in my mind was they will send me back to Syria. Uh, that was the only logical uh, uh, solution. And I know that there are no more options. And now I'm in a serious, serious problem. Yeah. That was from day one. But I did not know at that time that I'm going to spend nine months, seven and then two months. Yeah. You must have felt a lot of fear that they were going to send you back to Syria. Oh, yes. And uh, uh, a part of the Syrian story of how the international law and uh, the international uh, organization failed us and... uh, uh, for me, it was the, uh, a logic to communicate or to reach out to to UNHCR because it's the United Nations desi- designated for refugees. Uh, we are the purpose of their existence. So the only logical solution is to reach out to them and say, listen, hey, this is what happened with me. What do you advise me? And uh, I was weak. I was powerless. I was hopeless. I was voiceless at that time. And they came back to me after a week of trying to reach out to them. They said, uh, sorry, we cannot do anything for you. You should uh, turn yourself into the airport authority. They will communicate the Syrian embassy. They will get you a ticket and they will send you back to Syria. And that's why, okay, well, that's the main thing. I cannot go back to Syria. Uh, And that will make you think about uh, the power of social media, for example, the, when I become different, when I start, my voice start reaching out and when I start gathering some attention and when people, individual people from all around the world start reaching out to me and start putting some pressure, all of a sudden the UNHCR showed at the airport. They came and inducted an interview at the airport and said, well, we will try to do something. And Yeah. And that's that's how sad it is, um, how the millions of people we have now in refugee camps, not only Syrians, from all around the world, and they are voiceless. Yeah. And how you become different with with the social media and with the people. It was quite extreme. Um, and tell me about the practicalities of, you know, obviously, I mean, I, I don't imagine you get into your pajamas every night. You're sleeping beneath uh, stairs or under chairs, just in your clothes. Uh, yeah. Tell me about it. The, the, the first 20, every problem start big. And if you panic, it's going to be bigger yeah. and impossible to solve. If you calm down, if you start breathing, if you start thinking, if you depend on your skills, your survival skills, your education, your knowledge on life, uh, you will start finding the keys for these problems and the solutions and they will become problems no more especially when you find a bigger purpose to serve uh, at the beginning it was so annoying i could not sleep for the first 20 days i could 
did not even have a shower. My clothes were so dirty and it was so annoying. I was struggling every day to have a cup of coffee, although the duty-free was one floor above me, but I did not have an access. They did not allow me to enter the duty-free. So uh, all of that was so annoying and uh, so uh, impossible to handle sometimes. But uh, when I realized what I'm doing, uh, I told myself, well, that's fine. I never heard of anyone who died because he was sleeping on a chair. I'm going to do what I need to do. And uh, it bothers me no more to sleep on a chair. Or, uh, um, But it, it was difficult. But like where to take a shower, how to take a shower, uh, when to have some sleep because it's an airport and it's always with the lights, with the uh, sure. noise, with the travelers and uh, departure and arrival. And uh, we, with uh, also the lights on, the temperature is so cold at the airport. Huh. And I did, uh, it's always cold at the airports. And then I did some research and it's in all airports around the world. They keep it so low because they don't want people to hang there for a long time. They want them to get out as soon as, soon as possible. So. And it was freezing. I get six, seven, or eight times at the airport without an access to the to any medical care. Uh, even my mobile charger was stolen six or seven times. And smallest things, it sometimes it will push your nerve and it will get under your skin and it will be like the straw, which is the yeah. camel's back. And uh, but. Uh, I was in love with what I'm doing. I, it was, it was fun at the end. It was funny because they thought that they can break me, but I was trying to prove them wrong. What did? Um, how did other passengers react to you? Because presumably, most of them didn't know what you were fighting for, and they must have thought, "Who is this uh, homeless man?" They must have thought. Uh, yeah, the, after that, they start reaching out to me in purpose because they read the story somewhere. And uh, huh. some of them, they are, people are different in general. Uh, some of them because uh, they want to help. They want to offer some uh, uh, um, help or uh, or even they will bring you some food or coffee. Uh, others, well, uh, they want a selfie and uh, they want to chat a little bit. And uh, others, they just want to meet the guy from the airport. And um, yeah, so it, it's different. It depends. But uh, so, so many of them, they were so kind. As, uh, mm. And they helped. And um, they kept telling me that, oh, you are a celebrity now. And I no. Celebrity, they have their own jets. They don't stuck at airports. I am an, a zoo animal. Mm. I was in a cage and you are what, just trying to to watch me yeah yeah that's quite a sad well, response it when, is yeah yeah but it's it's how but you I, I still believe that that how that that was the the case hmm. yeah. where did where did you shower and how did you get meals i was technically under the responsibility of the airlines so they were providing me three meals every day uh, and uh, it was the same meal every day three times uh, for seven months so um, and it got oh me God. in trouble it got me in trouble when it? i complete uh, some rice and chicken and uh, it got me uh, it got me uh, in a problem when i uh, when i spoke out about it and they said you are making fun of our food the malaysian people and uh, uh, 
that you should be thankful. And I said, I'm not, I'm trying to explain the situation. Even if you are eating in the finest Parisian and London and UK restaurants, uh, even in Paris, you will get sick of it if it's uh, seven months, three times a day. I'm not making fun of your food. I'm complaining about the situation in general, and I'm using food for that. Um, uh, how I take a shower, uh, I discovered that after one o'clock, uh, there will be um, no flights uh, to arrive for, for almost two hours or three hours. So I was uh, in the public uh, public toilet, uh, but I was using the special needs because less people will approach it. So uh, I will have some more time for like 15 and 20 minutes, but it was cold water for, uh, for seven months and the airport is closed and that's what got me sick in the first place. So it was, you, do you remember the ice pocket challenge where people start the, the ice on their head? It was yeah, a yeah. challenge on, uh, yeah, ice pocket. It was the same ice pocket challenge for, for nine months. Oh my God. Each and, each and every day. It's quite fascinating and extraordinary from from a legal perspective, uh, an international law perspective, because it seems incredible that the airline is responsible for you uh, in that in, in that circumstance. But then I don't know how else it should work. Really, it's it's quite extraordinary that and they they were responsible for feeding you in that situation. Because they was holding my passport. I never hold my passport. They were, yeah, yeah, they were controlling my passport. It was with them. And um, yeah. Um, yeah, they are the transporter. That's, it's, it's, it's a well-known uh, fact. So I, I was their responsibility. But uh, I was in the land of no one. And w- the technicality is, uh, is risky. That's when people they judge the whole story without knowing all the details. And that's when it got tricky because they may change their mind. Those who thought that I'm, uh, I'm just a country shopper, they said, I'm, I, I'm focusing on Canada and I want only Canada. A country what? A country shopper. A, a, someone who's shop, shopping for a country. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was not the case because of the technicality and detail. You cannot apply for a visa unless you go personally to the embassy, for example. And I could not leave the international uh, area I was in because I was not allowed in the country. And I could not go to have a, uh, to conduct an interview for a visa, although that was not an option, but technically I'm speaking uh, in theory. And um, even when they arrested me, they left the bla- the band, they left the band. They communicate with immigration. Immigration, uh, they don't have the authority in the international area. They have the authority after the stamping area. That area is only for the police. So they uh, requested the police uh, to get in the international area and find me a crime and arrest me for that crime. Then the police took me for four days to the police station. And after that, they investigate the crime. They could not find anything. And that's when they handled me to immigration. It's the formality. Because they need their paperwork to be right. And so so that's the technical things. And that's why Canada is... Every, every refugee's dream. That's why Canada is different. That's why 
I'm the luckiest person on earth. And that's why I'm so in love with this country because no one will do what Canada did. And uh, no one will send you an immigration officer to induct an interview with you at the detention jail with all his equipment. They flied him from a different country, from Singapore to Malaysia. And uh, uh, no one will, why should they care about me when I, I'm not related. I never been there. I'm not a permanent resident. I don't have anyone here. Why Canada should care about this individual uh, to sponsor me? And that's that's the difference. So Christmas is coming up. And if you're anything like me, you're hoping your family will be away so you don't have to buy them anything. Unfortunately, many of us are forced to see our relatives in the festive season. But I've got an idea for a present. Bucketlistprints.com make original travel posters inspired by nature, culture, and adventure. There are literally hundreds of different poster designs from all around the world, and it's a really easy, thoughtful, and beautiful gift. I've got two posters in my office, one of Iguazu National Park and the other of Tierra del Fuego, both in Argentina, to remind my Argentine partner of where she comes from. She probably knows, but that's where she's from. Um, You can see those on my Instagram and Twitter. You can even get the same ones, so we'll have the same posters. Look through the categories from national parks and ski resorts to hiking trails and European cities. There are even Ibiza super clubs, or Ibiza, as they'd say, and outdoor hobbies. There's something for everyone. And these posters look really cool, sort of retro and classy. The posters are printed on premium heavyweight art paper with a matte finish. You can choose framed, so ready to hang straight out of the box. The frames are made from sustainably sourced solid wood, and they plant a tree for every poster sold. Go to Bucket List Prints dot com and get 15% off with the promo code edge that's bucketlistprints.com promo code edge at one point you were looking to go to mars i believe yes i still uh i was trying to go to mars and i asked also uh, george martin to open the, the wall gate so i north of the gates and the wall gates of game of thrones i was uh i the irony uh, in life they have this huge uh painting on the wall in in kuala lumpur airport with the whole world in it yeah and i was looking all the time at the whole world and how i cannot find myself any spot in this map and uh, then i we have thousands of uninhabited small islands to give me one like leave me with uh, <laughs> and give me some fishing tools or gears and leave me alone for the rest of my life i will live in that island uh, and to mars yeah i i reached out to nasa fun is was the only way to show people that we are normal and we can also be fun and we can we are like you uh, we also had dreams when we were young and mm. we liked fun. We liked parties. We liked adventures and we know how to, uh, uh, to be a good people. So I was trying to use the humor to show people that we are not what they are speaking about us in the media. We are not the extremists. We are not violent. We are not terrorists. Terrorists. We are, uh, we are the, the result of it, the terror. We are the ones who affected the most because of it. So, 
So I was trying to show them that if you are having a problem in your day life and uh, you are sad, just remember that there is someone at the airport stuck there and uh, he's enjoying his his time. He is still yeah. smiling. It reminds me of, I mean, I'm from a Jewish family and sort of ancestors of mine have gone through some difficult times before and they always try to show a sense of humor. And I think uh, one, one reason that people often say is because you have to make light in a bad situation. But what is not always, not always thought about, I think, is what you just said, uh, which is to show other people. I think laughter is probably the most human emotion. And when you're a refugee and you're facing such serious issues, it's you don't smile very much. And it means that people might not give you so much empathy. They see you as some sort of other, which is very unfair, you know? Uh, true. Uh, I agree. And that's why... That's why I said uh, once that it's it's not my story uh, which is unique because it's millions of Syrians, each one of them, they have their own unique stories. Each one of them could be a movie. Each one of them could be in a, in a book. But I think what was unique is the way I handled it. Um, uh, that's why I was not trying to complain because it's not your fault. Uh, nor it was mine, but it's also not your fault. Um, so you don't need to feel guilty about it. I was not complaining. I was not uh, shouting. I was not crying over a solution. I was uh, not uh, um, angry. Uh, I thought uh, that uh, I should use my knowledge, my education, and uh, all the things that the weird things in my life start things are that I asked myself when it happened, why it happened, and it made no sense at the time it happened. All of a sudden, they lined up in, in, in a line to make the perfect sense uh, in my mind. And uh, uh, that's why all things happened at that specific time, because it will lead me to this result, uh, the result I was facing at the airport. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't understand why my mother would send me to an English school every summer when I was a kid, when I all, when I all what I want was to, to play with other kids. And imagine <laughs> my situation if I was not able to communicate with the Western people or organization with no English. So with the little English I had, uh, I was able to save myself. And that was because of my mother and her vision. And, uh, and she wow. would use any any necessary any necessary <laughs> forest to to uh, make me go. Or my late father, why he used to take me to our olive farm every weekend to prepare me physically, and then uh, he at the same day he will grab a book and read to me, and then we will discuss it. So uh, wow. uh, the, the the general knowledge, all of that, would the accident happen in UAE or in Malaysia, or why the Turkish airline? did not allow me to board or why the Cambodian authority sent me back. All lined up to make the perfect sense. It happened for that. It sounds like you had fantastic parents growing up. Do you do you hold hope of seeing your mother again? Is that possible? Or is it all on, do you speak on Zoom? We do. We're on WhatsApp uh, and video calls. And um, I never called them a video call before when I was in UAE because I did not want them to see uh, uh, that, that terrible situation I was going through and I was trying to comfort them, hiding things from them. And uh, now all what we do is video calling and uh, in Canada. And uh, one day that's the hope. 
we cannot live without a dream. And once you achieve one dream, you will start uh, creating a new one. And uh, the new one is for me to rejoin uh, my family again, to bring them here, if that's possible one day, uh, to see my nephew or my niece. I never saw my niece in person or my sister-in-law. Um, but they keep sending me videos and photos. Uh, it's easier now. It's easier, but I still need, in, in my culture and the way we look at it, uh, a free man is not free until his family is free. A uh, rich man is not rich until his family is rich. Uh, it's not about the personal survival. It's about the, your the family is the most important unit in the society. It's not the individual. Uh, you need to find yourself a purpose and your family is your purpose. You need to protect them and you need to play your role. Uh, now I'm in a better, much better situation because I'm able to uh, to support them financially, and that's a huge relief. Uh, now at least I know that if they need some medicine, if they need food, if not, I can help, and I always support them with that. And imagine the situation if I was a jobless in Malaysia or United Arab Emirates, and they are going through what they are going and. Uh, that's a family who my mother and my sister, they, when I was in Malaysia, they sold their necklace gold, they got golden necklace. They sold it to send me the money so I can go to Ecuador. And that's when I bought the ticket. It was something like 2,100 US dollar. And uh, uh, that's when the Turkey airline did not allow me to board and I lost all the money. It was that, uh, there is a, when I think about it now, there, you know that there, uh, you are done with life. You are, you know that you are a total dungeon. You are broken beyond repair. And that type of sadness will never leave you. But you keep moving on in your life because your family depending on you. But uh, I cannot relive the day or the hour I lived with the Turkey airline when they did not allow me to board because I lost all the money that my family sent me by sell, selling their golden necklace. And that was the situation. And imagine the, the phone call I made to my family oh. to tell them I could not get in the plane. You can't get a, yeah. couldn't get a, the refund or anything like that for the money. No, no, because it was through an agency and the agency said, well, I can't book you another one, but I will not give you my, your money. Uh, it's, uh, it's a type oh. of stupidity to, uh, uh, to keep repeating the same experiment, uh, seeking for a different results, right? Yeah. You will get me a new ticket. I will go to the airport. And, uh, oh, it's horrible. Well, I wish you the best of luck with your family and I, I hope you are able to reunite with them soon. Thank you. Thank you. I wish that too. Thank you, Hassan. Thank you so much for your time. That was really a beautiful episode from a beautiful man with a quite extraordinary story. I hope you, dear listener, enjoyed that as I believed it summed up the characteristics of the On The Edge podcast or the On The Edge style that I look for in stories at least. Something unusual and unexpected with some deep and profound meaning beneath it. I wish Hassan every success. And you can hear the 20-minute bonus section, which gets quite heavy, 
on patreon.com slash andrewgold or by joining my subscriptions on Apple or YouTube. Get Hassan's book, Man at the Airport, in the usual places. It's in the show notes along with his Twitter profile at Contard81. Thanks to the recent new patrons. I can't see your names on Apple, but thank you to you guys as well. And get in touch to tell me if you signed up through there and I'll give you a shout out. But shout outs now to the wonderful Susie in New Zealand. Thank you also to Saud Al Said for joining the top tier on an annual basis. Uh, he'll be joining my monthly Zoom conversations that is about five or six of us who chat every month about the podcast. Thanks also to the excellent Aoife O'Callaghan um, who's had a nice, lovely email back and forth with me. It's been really lovely. And another new annual member is the lovely Benjamin Seaton in Minnesota. Minnesota, who, who also had a nice... I've been chatting with all these lovely people, to be honest, uh, and it's been really lovely. And Samuel LP, who is a second-tier patron, that he joined like, the, the second-highest one, uh, thank you as well to Samuel. Thank you to all of you. It's been a great couple of weeks for the podcast. It really has. And uh, it's very exciting when I see a new notification telling me about a new patron. So that's great. Please keep reviewing on CastBox and Apple and telling friends on social media. I'm on at AndrewGold underscore OK on Twitter and Instagram and would love to hear from you. Thanks for the review. Raya Horner or Raya Horner in the UK who gave five stars on Apple. She said, love this. Very interesting with very interesting guests. Andrew asks all the right questions. And then there is a lovely big smiley face emoji, which is also very nice. So thank you, Raya. I was delighted to read that. Stick around for next week's episode with former cult member Kelly Thiel. She was part of the NXIVM cult that engaged in sex trafficking, forced labor, and multi-level marketing. Um, And there's a huge podcaster, Jordan Harbinger, coming on as well in the next couple of weeks to talk about all sorts of things including being kidnapped not once but twice. See you next week.